today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 to 16. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Bijan. For those of you I haven't met, I'm the pastor for Reality Church London. I also want to say Flo just led us in worship. That was her first time. She did great, right? <laughs> Flo, thank you so much. We're so grateful. So as I say, every Sunday as we gather, we are one church gathering in two places. Some of us are here in person at Central Foundation. Others of you are with us on Zoom. And we're one church scattered throughout this city, coming together every Sunday to worship God and to receive direction from him, from his word. And so that's what we get to do now. You just heard Matthew chapter five read. Let me pray, and then we'll get right to work looking at this text. Our God, thank you for this passage of scripture, which has shaped so many Christians and so many churches over all the years since you spoke it. And now we ask, as we gather together on this Sunday, as a church right in the heart of London, that you would use this text to form us, to shape us, to be your witnesses and your representatives in this world. So be with us during this time. We ask all this for your glory and for our good, praying in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So here we are, Matthew chapter five, and if you were here last week, we began a new series looking at the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. This is maybe Jesus's most famous section of teaching in all the Bible. And we said last week that if we used one word to summarize everything that's in these verses, that word would be discipleship. Jesus is teaching about what it means to follow him in the world today. And last week, we talked about the character of the disciple. What are the traits that mark the follower of Jesus? Today, we come to the ever important question of how a Christian is supposed to relate to their city, to their community, to the world. To put a finer point on it, today's sermon is gonna answer this question. How are we as a church, Reality Church London, supposed to interact and engage with our city? This question is at the heart of our mission because if you know our mission statement, we are a community that follows Jesus, makes him known, and is seeking the renewal of London. And the question is, how do we do that? How do we follow Jesus in this city? How do we proclaim him? How do we seek renewal in this place? Well, Matthew chapter five and the verses we just read give us the answer. And so we're gonna look at this passage today to see how it shapes us as a community following Jesus in our city. And so here's the outline for today's sermon. First, we're gonna see why you're here, why we're as a church here in this city. 
Second, how it happens, the purpose that I'll articulate, how it actually happens. And then third, what we need if we're going to be this kind of community. So why we're here, how it happens, and what we need. Let's take a look. First, why are you here? Why is Reality Church London exist? And the answer is there in verse 16 of your passage. Again, you have that on your worship guide for those of you at home. Here today, it'll be on the screen or you're able to pull it up on your phone. But look with me at verse 16. The end says this, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Why are you here? Why does our church exist? To help people glorify God. That's the purpose of life, to bring glory to God. And Jesus says, if you're my follower, the ultimate purpose, the ultimate reason why I've put you in the city that you're in, the community that you're a part of, even with the people that you live with, Jesus says, is so that you can help other people glorify God. Now, what does that mean to glory in God or to glorify God? Well, here's the fact. Everybody, whether or not you identify as a Christian, whether or not you even think of yourself as religious, everyone glories in something. You see, to glory in something is to do this. It's to find something that's beautiful or attractive, something that you think is valuable and important. And what you do is you look at this thing that's valuable or beautiful or attractive to you, and what you do is you actually attach yourself to it. And because of your association to that thing, you are now deriving a sense of meaning and purpose in your life. And every human being is glorying in something. All of us, all that we are glorying creatures, we can't help it. Some people glory in their jobs, in their careers. You look at your career and say, that's what I'm here to do. And when you're productive, when you're successful, as you climb the ladder, you feel glorious. You feel like you're on top of the world. Conversely, you know you're glorying in your career or in a job or in a sense of productivity if you're frustrated all the time at work. And it leads not just to a sense of dis disappointment, but despair. Maybe you're between jobs or looking for work and you start to wonder, am I of any value at all? Life starts to feel meaningless. That's because we're actually glorying. We're attaching our sense of significance to our job, to our career, to our vocation. Others of us do this in our relationships. We look at our friendships or maybe a romance and we say, if those people accept me, if that person likes me, if that person says yes, then I know I'm something. Then I know I matter. Then I know that I'm okay. And conversely, if we lose a friendship or if we lose a love, we're not just disappointed and sad, which is natural, but we despair, we feel hopeless. Why? We're glorying in our jobs, we're glorying in our relationships, and it goes on and on. We are glorying creatures, and we can't help it. And Jesus looks at his followers, and he says to them, I want you to go out into the world, a world that is hungry for glory, and I want you to point people to me. I want you to live in such a way that when people see you, they glorify me, they glorify God in heaven. Jesus says, that's your purpose. That's why you're here. 
Now, why does this matter? Why is it that Jesus cares so much that we as a church would live in this way so that people would see us and glorify God? Here's the answer. Helping another person glory in God is the most loving thing that you can do for them. Because remember, we've said, yes, we're glory-starved creatures. But most of us are looking for glory, a sense of meaning and purpose and identity in things that can't ultimately satisfy. And so we chase after people or we chase after things or we chase after experiences and the ache, that hole in the center of our heart doesn't go away. It's there and it remains. It's not because the things we're seeking are bad. Oftentimes they're very good things but it's because we're looking to them to give us something that they were never meant to give. They're not able to bear the full weight of our being. There's an old story about how Roman generals during the Roman Empire, whenever they came back from military conquest, they would ride into town in a parade, victorious, we won, we defeated the enemy. And as these generals rode back into town and they were being praised and lauded by all the people that were around them, it was always a servant's job to come behind that general and to whisper in their ears, all glory is fleeting. All glory is fleeting. Why? Because the general couldn't have that glory going to their head. It wasn't theirs to begin with. It was going to fade. If they built an identity on their military success and their triumph, they would soon be let down. All glory is fleeting, except one. The reason Jesus says, I want you to go out into the city and glorify God, live in such a way that people glorify me because of you, is because I'm the only glory that if you attach yourself to it, is not going to let you down. I'm the only glory that if you give yourself fully to it, is not going to crush you, but is actually going to bring you joy and peace and flourishing. That's why St. Augustine said, God made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they rest in him. So friends, that's why we're here. That's why you're here, to live in such a way that people see you and glorify God in heaven. But that asks now the second question, well, how on earth does that happen? If that's your purpose, if that's why I'm here, then how do we live? How do we become those kind of people, that kind of community that lives in such a way that others see us and they glorify God? And the answer is verse 13 and verse 14. Here's the answer in a sentence, and then I'll unpack it. This happens when the community of Christians simply lives the identity that is already theirs, being what you already are. Look with me, if you would, at verse 13 and verse 14. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And then verse 14, you are the light of the world. So important. Jesus is speaking in the indicative. He's saying something that's already true about these disciples. He's not saying, I want you to become salt. I want you to become light. He's not saying, if you do these things, then you will be salt and light. He's saying, this is already true of you. And so it's an indicative. It's Jesus saying, if you're my follower, if you're a Christian, then what's already true of you is your salt in the earth and your light in the world. And I want you to just be that. And as you be salt and as you be light, people are going to see your life 
and they're going to glorify God in heaven. That's how it happens. Now, for us to properly understand what Jesus is communicating, then let's dive deep into these two images, salt and light. What is he talking about? Think with me first of salt. Salt was, in the first century, incredibly important. You know, we like salt today, we salt our food, but back then, salt wasn't just a seasoning, it was a preservative. If you wanted meat to not spoil, you would take salt and you would rub it deep into the meat. And that would, in a day before refrigeration, keep it from rotting, keep it from spoiling. And Jesus says, that's the kind of purpose you're supposed to have on the earth. You're to be a preservative. You're to go into the world and be salt. Now, that image suggests involvement. It suggests presence. Salt has to get deeply engaged into the thing that it is going to preserve and renew. And so the first image that Jesus gives, he's saying to the church, you can't just always hang out with other Christians. You can't just be salt in a salt shaker. You've got to get out. You've got to be scattered. You've got to get deeply embedded into your city. And so the disciples of Jesus are those who are present. We are there. We are involved. We are invested. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We care about our city. We care about our industries. We care about the gardens in our playgrounds. We care about the ways in which people are treated. We care about homeless and rough sleeping in our city. We care about people who have too little to eat. And we show up. We're present, Jesus says. Salt is an image of presence. It can't do its work unless it gets deeply engaged. But also, not just the image of salt, also the image of light. If salt is about presence, light is an image of difference. Light only functions because it's categorically different than the darkness. And what does light do? Well, it reveals, it illuminates, it exposes. Light helps you see things more clearly. But more than that, light is an image of hope. Do you see there in verse 14 where Jesus talks about you, yes, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. That's an image that Jesus gives that would have meant a great deal to an ancient traveler. You see, you and I, when we travel today, it's by car or train or plane, and there's light everywhere. There's lights to help you see where you're going. There's lights above you. But if you're an ancient traveler, you were navigating in deep darkness. There's no light. There's no street post. There's no headlights on your car. There is no car. And so the only way that you would know, am I lost? Am I going in the right direction? There's threat. Are there robbers? Are there vicious animals around? The only hope you would have is as you're making your journey, if off in the distance you saw a city set up on a hill and the lights, the lamps in that city were glowing and blazing. And you say, what relief, we're in the right direction. We have hope. And Jesus says to Christians, you are meant to be that kind of hope-giving presence in your city. That when people see you, they say, there's hope after all. It's not all emptiness. It's not all loneliness. You know, the pandemic has given us all a sense of deeper loneliness, hasn't it? But did you not know that London, for the past decade, every year, has ranked as the loneliest city in the world? That's pre-pandemic. 
Christians are meant to be a city on a hill saying there's an alternate way to live. There's a different way to be a community. There's a different way to think about purpose and meaning and joy and sacrifice. We are to be hope givers in a weary world. That's what Jesus says. You are salt and you are light. But that light only occurs if we're different. We have to stand out. We have to be visibly marked by different values than the surrounding world around us. Let me give you just a few examples. Think first about your speech. Christians are called to be different in the way that they talk, in the ways they talk to other people, but also in the ways that they talk about other people. Colossians chapter 4 says this, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I mean, that's convicting. Your words are the most powerful thing you have. Do we use our words to build others up or to tear them down? We're meant to be different. Using our words to build people up, to bring encouragement and hope and support. Another way that we're meant to be different, the way we hope. You see, a Christian is someone who's neither overly optimistic, and we're not overly optimistic because of our doctrine of sin. We know the world is broken. But neither is the Christian someone who's overly pessimistic. Oh, all hope is lost. Everything is meaningless because of our doctrine of new creation. And so on the one hand, Christians can see brokenness and evil like we did today in prayer that Jackie led. And we can call out evil and injustice and we can mourn that together. But at the same time, Christians are those who never face a day in which they are without ultimate hope because of what we believe and about where we know the future is going. See, Christians are different even in the way they hope. We could go on and on, but the question is, if light, its power resides in difference, then are we a different kind of community? Deeply engaged, but deeply different. Give you an example of this before we talk about how it actually can happen in your life. But a friend of mine recently was talking and he shared with me a story about a man named Daniel Trockmay. Daniel Trockmay was a Christian living in World War II in the Les Chambon region in France. And he was a principal of a boarding school and in his school was mostly Jewish refugees, so kids who were Jewish. In 1943, the Gestapo, the German secret police come and they raid the boarding school. Now that particular night, Daniel was away. He wasn't on the school premises. And this man, Daniel, as a Christian, loved his students. He was not only a teacher, but he was a friend, almost like a father figure to them. So this night as the Gestapo come and take away these children, he the next morning finds out about it and he goes to where they are being held and he refuses to leave their side. And ultimately he's taken with his students to a concentration camp. And the guards at the camp cannot understand why would a man who's not Jewish refuse to leave the side of these kids and choose to stay with them. And stay he did. Ultimately, until the next year when he died there in the camp. 34 years old. Now, you and I hear a story like that and we say that's heroic and that's beautiful. But what was he doing? He was just being what he already was. Salt and light. Because what is salt? It's presence. I'm going to be involved. I'm going to stay. 
and it's light. I'm gonna live differently, not for self-preservation, but sacrifice. And so that heroic story was simply a man being what he was because of his identity in Jesus. And the question for us is, are we the kind of community that in small ways and in extraordinary ways will be salt and light in London? What do we need if we're gonna be that kind of community? Well, two things, and then we'll come into our time of response. But what do we need if we're gonna be salt and light that live in such a way that people see us and they glorify God in heaven? First, we need each other. We need each other. You see there in verses 11 and 12, Jesus talks about persecution. The fact is following Jesus in our world today is not always easy. Sometimes we are offensive. Sometimes there is hostility. And so we need each other. And it's hard to see this in the Greek because, or excuse me, in English, because of the limits of the English language, unless you live in the American South. But in verses 13 and verse 14, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world, it's plural. Jesus is saying, you all are salt. You all are light. He's not talking to individuals. He's talking to all the disciples. And he's saying the strength of your witness resides in the fact that you are a witness together. We need each other. And so in my moments of weakness, I'm so thankful that I'm part of a community, that this doesn't all depend on me. And so we come together to encourage each other, to support each other, to provide accountability, even in the midst of hardship and difficulty. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who has a great book on the practice of Christian community says this, talking about why we need each other. The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged because by himself, he cannot help himself. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. How true that is, that sometimes my faith wavers, my ability to follow God is weakened. And I need a community of people encouraging me, strengthening me, supporting me. Jesus says, you all are my light. You all are my salt. The strength of our power lies in our being together. But not only do we need each other, lastly and most importantly, how are we gonna be salt and light? We need the Lord Jesus himself. We need the Lord Jesus himself. You see, Jesus is the ultimate salt and the ultimate light. And the only reason we can be salt and light is the only reason the moon can shine at all. It reflects the sun. And the only way that we're gonna be effective as God's salt and as God's light in London is to the degree that we're connected to Jesus and reflecting him. And as you think about it, as you actually think about the life of Jesus, this is so true, isn't it? We look at Jesus and we realize he is the ultimate salt. Because what is salt? It's an image of presence. And what did Jesus do? He left the comfort and the glory and the perfect fellowship that he had from all eternity with God the Father and God the Spirit. And Jesus takes on a human body. He takes on such frailty. And he comes all the way down into our world to enter into our story. 
John chapter one says, Jesus took on flesh and he made his dwelling among us. One author paraphrasing that verse says, Jesus became a man and he moved into the neighborhood. That's what Jesus did. He came all the way down, he came all the way in. And he stayed, even when it cost him everything. On the cross, as Jesus hung there, there were enemies who cried out and said, save yourself, come down from the cross. Why would this man stay with these kids in the camp? Why would Jesus, who could save himself, hang there on that cross? Presence. I'm with you to the end, no matter what it costs. And Jesus, not only the ultimate salt, but he's the ultimate light. The one who is not only filled with all glory and power, but the one who brought hope from beyond the walls of this world who showed in his miracles and in his teaching what life can look like when it's fully redeemed, when evil is dealt with, when sin is gone, when death is defeated. And he who is the ultimate light hung on the cross and darkness descends upon him. Literally, in midday as he was dying, darkness came over the town of Jerusalem. Why? Because what was happening spiritually in his own death was happening physically all around him the light of the world was plunged into darkness. For what purpose? That he could be our savior, that he could be the one to bear our sin and our shame so that when you and I are in salt, when we're not light, we find grace and power in Jesus. And as we connect into him, as we grow in him, as we find our identity rooted in him, we become a community that is transformed. And so friends, as we now come to our time of response, here's the application. It's not go and try to be salt and go and try to be light. It's go deeper into the Lord Jesus. Grow closer to him. Give yourself to him today. Surrender to him. Because as you do so, he will inevitably transform you, transform us into a community that reflects his joy and grace and power in our city. Let's pray for that now as we come to our time of response. Our God, help us now as we come into this time of singing and of reflecting and praising, as we come into this time of surrender and confession. Oh God, help us to see Jesus afresh. Help us to see how he is salt with us, present even in the midst of such brokenness and sadness and grief. May we find ourselves helped by his presence, by the power of your spirit today. Help us to encounter Jesus as light, dispelling our darkness, bringing hope and bringing strength to the weary. Lord, we ask all this, not only for our personal comfort, but so that through us, your salt and your light might be scattered and shining in this city. We want people to know you and to glorify you. Use us, God. Help us to be that kind of community, that kind of city set on a hill, bringing hope and joy to the world. We ask all this now praying together in Jesus' name. Amen.